Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, as we have sang these songs, these hymns, ascribing to you praise, Father, we say, just as we sang, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the great things that you've done. And as we open up your word, we'll see a sign of these great things. But even greater still, not only that Christ physically raises Lazarus from the dead, but that he raises all those who have trusted in him. Father, that is the greater thing that you have done. That is what we praise you for. Father, that you are good, that you have loved us in Christ, that you have sent him to the world for the great love for which you have for us. So, Father, just as this text will read, we pray that we would believe that these things have been done so that we would believe. Father, be with us now. Be with me now. We pray that your word would go and find good soil, that we would be doers of it and not just hearers. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You'll have to forgive me. I've been dealing with some sinus stuff as well. It sounds like many of you have been afflicted by that as of late. So if I take some drinks or pop a cough drop in my mouth, just pardon my incivility. We're going to be in John chapter 11 this morning as we wrapped up John chapter 10 last week with Jesus' discourse of being the good shepherd. So we're going to open to John chapter 11. We're going to read the entire chapter of John 11. So if I do my math correctly, there's 57 verses. That gives me about 27 seconds per verse. <laughs> Let's do this. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. 
Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to, Mar to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind, the blind man, also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps, strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, 
And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Aren't you glad I didn't have you stand up for that whole section? (laughs) If you remember, back in March, this was the text that I preached my very first sermon here at Eastwood. And this whole week, as work and life and having a kid kind of rose to a head, I looked at that outline and I looked at that manuscript and I said, I bet I could just repeat this. But I don't think that's helpful for anybody. I don't think it's helpful for me, and I don't think it's helpful for us. So what I want us to do is I want us to look through, right? If John's point in writing this gospel is so that we might believe in Christ and by belief in his name have eternal life, right? That's, that's John's core message. That's John's point in writing this gospel, that he would, in everything that he writes and, and puts into this account, that it would be in such a way that it might stir up by looking and pointing to Jesus, it might stir up belief in his name. This text is rife with incredible signs of God's glory. And we've seen this progression of Jesus' signs and his work and his ministry. It's, it's ramping up. He started with the water and the wine. Neat awesome trick what it showed and signified is amazing that he is the new covenant that's going to be in his blood symbolized in the wine then he's healed blind men he's healed lame men things that the jews have said no one has done this before well now he continues to ramp up his signs and his glory and that's what John says, uh, he records Jesus' words saying that this whole story is to point us to God's glory being shown in the Son of God. That this whole story is for the glory of the Son of Man. Here's what he says in verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, right, he heard that Lazarus was sick, he said that this illness does not lead to death. But it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus has continued to point us to the necessity of him being raised up, him showing his glory. And he's pointing us to the cross. He's pointing us to him having to endure the cross and that that is the ultimate point of God's glory being shown. Well, this story in another way is causing the hearers, causing us today to see and focus our attention on the Son of God. So when we see these things in this story where Jesus takes extra time or where Jesus hangs out in a different place and you think, why is he not going to see his friend? Be reminded that it's for God's glory, that the glory of the Son might be revealed 
through what happens. We've just come off of Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd, right? Our hearers, the original hearers in this are the Jewish people. They're hearing all of these things of Jesus being the bread from heaven. Jesus is leading them through this new exodus that Jesus is also going to lead them through death. That Jesus is going to lead them through death because he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, right? What's the use of a dead shepherd? But he lays down his life and he's been given the authority to take it back up again. So he's showing us in this symbol of raising Lazarus physically that for the person who believes in him, they'll have eternal life, that they will never taste death. Now, I want to answer a question that has come up in my mind as of late. We read a story like this, and it's incredible. We see Jesus raising a man from the dead. Incredible. Miraculous. The glory of God is shown in this. And oftentimes we have to ask the question, is this normal? <laughs> you may be like, is it normal? Duh, it's not normal. Maybe you're sitting there and saying, yeah, I don't know, it's in the Bible, so seems normal. Let me kind of hopefully help us wade through the waters. This is not normal. This is not normal. Jesus raising somebody to physical new life. I think you can count on one hand how many people have not uh, experienced physical death. A couple in the Old Testament, a couple in the New Testament. So this is not normal. We don't, as Christians, pray that our family our friends, our co-workers who die. We don't pray, God, bring them back physically, back to earth. Because our lives are so much more than what happens on this globe. Our lives are so much more than that. Our lives are to be pointing to the glory of God. They're to be in worshipful adoration of the Creator who made us and sent His Son to die in our place. Life is so much more than just what happens on this earth. A prayer for a believer who's already passed away that they would be raised to physical life would be somewhat unfair. <laughs> Think about what you'd be praying. Lord, bring them back to earth when they're in your presence. I think if you've ever prayed that prayer, your, your friend or your family member that you pray that to would be really upset with you. That Jesus is saying... This is not normal. It points to something. It points to the reality of the believer not tasting death. Even though they die, if a person believes in him, yet shall he live. So there's, I found eight different places in this passage, in these 57 verses, that point to belief, where the word belief is translated. First verse is verse 15. For context, I'll start in verse 13. Now, Jesus 
had spoken of his death. Right? Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep, but they thought that he literally meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. John is pointing the readers, he's pointing his original audience to this climax that you must believe in Jesus. And it's become clear that his disciples haven't fully gotten it yet. They haven't fully understood it. That's why Jesus says, I'm glad that this happened so that you would believe. The purpose of this whole story is that the Son of Man would be glorified through it by raising Lazarus from the dead. And that by that glory, by this sign, by this raising up of Lazarus, that it would stir up belief in Jesus as the Christ, as the sent one of God. As the story continues, they arrive and Martha goes and he has this conversation with Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha's coming to Jesus with doubt. Lord, if you would have just been here, if you would have just been in our presence, you could have kept him alive. We know, we've trusted, we've seen what you can do. If you just would have been here. Jesus is assuring her of a future reality where death has no power. That's why in the New Testament, Paul and other writers will begin to say, Paul most vividly, Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus has defeated the power of death. But in our time right here in John chapter 11, Jesus is yet to be crucified. He's on his way, but he's not there yet. But Jesus is pointing them to you. Just hang on. Just hang on. This reality of Lazarus being raised from the dead, Jesus is saying, this is great. The glory, my glory will be shown through this, but just wait. I'm going to come back from the dead. You're going to start to sing, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Martha's doubting, and Jesus reaffirms her in this few-verse section. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Another I am statement. Another opportunity for these hearers, these Jewish hearers, to realize Jesus is claiming to be God. There should be no question. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I want to just quick two things. Two things that are necessary 
that Jesus points to. The first thing is you have to believe in Jesus. For these things to be true, you must believe in Jesus. A person who lives a good and moral life according to the Old Testament law does not get to heaven. A person who does good for people is a, um, I'm said entrepreneur, but that's not the right term, uh, philanthropist and gives their money. There's a, uh, an initiative by some of the top uh, wealthiest people, guys like Bill Gates and uh, Apple's Tim Cook. Uh, others, Jeff Bezos, for some reason, didn't want to sign this, but they have said that they're going to give a majority of their wealth to these philanthropic initiatives. That doesn't matter. Those are good things. In the eyes of Christian people, those are good things. We want to praise the Lord that you're desiring to do that. But all of our advocacy for homeless and helping the needy and doing all of these things, if it's not grounded in the work of Christ, if it's not grounded in our trust in Christ, Those good things are just good things. But those good things in the eyes of God do not matter. You must believe in Jesus. That's why he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So first, there must be an explicit trust and belief in Jesus. And secondly, there's got to be a response. There's got to be a time where we respond. Jesus ends this with a question. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? Church, do you believe this? That the person who believes in Jesus Christ, though he die, yet shall he live. Her response, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Summed up in that short statement is so much call for belief and belief affirmed in Martha. You see in the next section, there was clearly a love for Lazarus. To the point where Jesus is moved. To the point where even at the beginning, uh, the sisters call to Jesus and say, The one whom you love, the one whom you love, Jesus is ill. Come and help. It's interesting to note that, I think I made note of this when I preached this before, When Mary is told by Martha that the teacher is here and he's looking for you, she runs out of the house. And those who are consoling her in the house, they expect her to be going to the tomb. Where does she go? She goes to Jesus. She goes to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, look to Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. She goes to Jesus. Tomb is not the final verdict. Jesus holds the power to raise the dead. 
What an illustration of Jesus saying, if you are my sheep, you know my voice. You listen and you follow me and I hold you in my hand. My Father, who's greater than all, holds you in his hand. No one can snatch you out. Not even death can snatch you out of the hand of our God. Not even death can snatch you out of the hand of our God. If you have trusted in him, there is hope. That's why we, as Paul writes to the church in Thessalonians, we mourn not as unbelievers, but we mourn as those with hope. Jesus comes to the tomb. He says, roll back the stone. And there's concern. There's an odor, Lord. He's been in there four days. Doubt's beginning to creep up again. And Jesus calls on their faith, calls on their belief. Verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. In every aspect of this, there's a call to believe. To believe that Jesus has the power to raise those from the dead, that Jesus has the power to speak to the Father, that Jesus has the power to do these things. He's saying, they may believe that you sent me. And it comes to its conclusion, right? Up until this point, Lazarus has gone from sick to dead. That's not a good medical prognosis, right? If your doctor diagnoses you as dead, that's normally not a good thing. But again, like I've said earlier, the tomb is not the final verdict. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is just a nonchalant sentence. Uh, just another account that John is writing. We just need to sit here for a little bit. Verse 44, the man who had died, past tense, came out. Anybody seen that in a regular day occurrence? If you do, we need to chat and I'll, I'll pray for you harder. <laughs> this is not normal. This is not normal that a person goes from sick to worse to dead to alive. So I asked the question, is this normal? And I answered the question, no, it's not normal. Jesus has not promised that we will be made alive in the physical sense. But what does he say? He says that we'll be alive in the eternal sense. And that one day our physical bodies will be made new. We'll be new creations. Our immortal will be, or our, our mortal bodies will be made, or the perishable will be made imperishable. So in the physical sense, this is not normal. 
But in a spiritual sense, for those who trust in Christ, this is 100% normal. That a dead thing comes to life. And if you sitting in the pews have trusted in Christ, this same story about Lazarus is true of you. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. I was dead in my sins and trespasses, but I've been made alive to God in Christ. That at one time in your life, if you trust, if you believe in him, Jesus cried out just as he did with Lazarus, come out. We saw, just as Paul on the Damascus Road, we saw Jesus, we saw his glory. And we believed. And this is what happens. This is the response. And as we get to the point where Jesus progressively and quickly gets to the cross, this is the culminating work that he healed a blind man, he healed a lame man, now he raised a dead man to life. Verse 45, the Jews who had come with Mary and had seen what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Right? This is what we continue to see in the book of John, that some believe and some don't. Some believe and some don't. This is the continual rhythm that we see in our day, even now. Some believe. They open up God's word and they're convinced. They're convicted by the Holy Spirit and they believe, but some don't. And for those some that do not believe, we continue to pray. We continue to get on our knees that they would Believe that their response when Jesus says, do you believe this, would be, yes, I do. You have the words of eternal life. You have the power to raise us from the dead. You have the power to make this dead life alive. Verse 55, now the Passover of the, over the Jews, let's read that again. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is where the life and ministry of Jesus all starts to point towards Calvary. To the cross that at this point we saw in chapter I believe it was either 815 or 518 when he heals the man born lame on the Sabbath right and they kind of turned up the heat they wanted to kill him this is ultimately where they started progressively to take him to the cross to arrest him and as we continue we're gonna see more and more of Jesus' glory being shown as he heads to the cross. So explicit faith in Jesus is a requirement. What will your response be when he asks, do you believe this? 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth, that you sanctify us in the truth. We pray that you would continue to cause us to see your word more clearly, that we would live it out in our lives. Father, we pray that as we continue to trust in Christ, that we would point to him in our surroundings, in our life, in our actions, in our words. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.